The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman, Back with you after a couple weeks off. Had some uh, personal issues to attend. And we're going to talk about them on this podcast because I had quite the adventure on December 23rd. And it, it it needs to be spoken to the world. At least I need to speak it to the world because, oh, man, oh, man, was was it something else. We'll get to that here in a minute. But uh, very excited for our guest on this podcast, Kevin Fishbane of The Athletic. He will be joining us as you know, throughout this season, we talked to several guys on the Bears beat and Chicago media guys who cover this team, whether it be Sylvie, whether it be Lawrence Holmes, Brad Biggs, Courtney Cronin, Adam Johns. You know, we talked to a lot of guys on the beat throughout the year to kind of keep checking in and seeing what the buzz is at Hallis Hall. So we're going to talk to Kevin today, kind of kind of do kind of a big picture thing with him, kind of talk about what this team needs going in the next year and, and what he's seen from the pieces that are hopefully building blocks on this team this year and will be a part of this team moving forward. Because, you know, I don't see a lot of benefit at this point in breaking down the Buffalo Bills game or looking ahead to the Detroit Lions game because at this point there's just not that much to speak about in that regard. The Bills trounce the Bears as they were expected to do. The Bears don't have enough talent. And, you know, and the fact that they're missing several key guys who are building blocks as a part of this team and aren't playing right now, whether that be Mooney, whether that be Jenkins, whether that be Sanborn, you know, all these guys are starting to really miss time. Eddie Jackson, this team is really banged up right now. So, you know, sitting here and breaking down if DeAndre Houston Carson is going to be back next year as a backup, I think he should be. But it's just, it's minutiae at this point. It's just not a lot to discuss. So, you know, let's look at this kind of big picture and, and look at things. And we've talked about the building blocks here. So we're going to break all that down with Kevin Fishbane here in a little bit. But, you know, the, the one thing that really at this point with two games to go that becomes interesting is the draft. And as I said, I, I do not cheer for losses. If, if Justin, I'll tell you what, if Nathan Peterman's out there, I don't give a crap what happens. But as long as Justin Fields is out there, I'm going to want to see success on the field. But at this point here, now the Chicago Bears are flirting with the number one pick. Now, they're currently sitting at number two. They are flirting 
with the number one pick, and you get the number one pick, and you don't need a quarterback, and I don't know how much teams are going to fall in love with Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young has a very bright career. I think he is a slam dunk to be the top pick in this draft. I love Will Anderson. I love Jalen Carter. I think those two guys are the best players in this draft, and I really want the Chicago Bears to end up with one of them. But usually, if there is a quarterback like Bryce Young available, he is the guy that's going to go number one. So if the Bears are sitting there at one, they can get a pretty big chunk of change to move back to three or four, depending on what teams are sitting there that are quarterback hungry. And the Houston Texans do have a game against the Indianapolis Colts. And the Colts look dreadful. So there is an absolute opportunity for the Texans to win one more game. And if the Texans win one more game and the Bears lose their final two games, the Chicago Bears will have the top pick in the draft next year. And that is not one they should keep. That is one they should absolutely trade out of and get a ransom for whatever team says Bryce Young is our future. Even if you're just moving back to three or four, again, you can get a significant, you can get a future first round pick you can get two or three future second round picks. You look at some of those maneuvers that teams have made to move up to those positions. You can get a haul to trade back and stay in the top five, top 10, and get, you know, still get a high, high quality player with your pick and a ton of draft picks to go with it. We know Ryan Poles moved back on day three. We did not see him move back on day two. So it'll be curious to see Poles maneuver in the draft, this upcoming draft based on where they are sitting, but they look very likely to have, it almost is a lock unless they win both games, that they're going to have a top four pick. They could absolutely, if they lose out, they're going to have a top two pick. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this draft develops. I know Bears fans and, well, I know NFL fans in general kind of get sick of hearing about tanking and everything. And again, this isn't about tanking and trying to say the Bears should purposely try to lose games. But if you're not paying attention to the draft at this point, when this team is going nowhere and has three wins on the season on December, you know, after Christmas, then you you, you have to sit there and really wonder what, what you're, you, you think it matters if the Bears have five wins versus three wins on the season. It doesn't matter. There is no learn to win BS at this point. So if you're not focused on, on draft position at this point when the team is this bad, then, you know, you're, you're not paying attention because, you know, and I brought this up and this, this, this is an old one, but the 1997 Bears, that was the year that Dave Wanstead got fired, had two wins with, I think, about three weeks to go in the year. They would have had the number one pick in the draft in 1998, but they won, I believe, two out of their last three or three out of their last four and, and finished with four wins on the season which got them the fifth pick of the draft and Curtis Enos, where if they had lost those games, they would have had the number one pick and Peyton Manning. So it absolutely matters at this at that juncture, at that point. So if you're not paying attention to it, I don't know what you're paying attention to. Feel free to tweet at me at ZimmermanSXM because I don't know what to what to look for if, if, if we're not looking at that. So, um, you know, to me, there's not much else to talk to that we're not going to get into with Kevin Fishbane, so I just want to share a couple other things on this uh, kind of opening conversation here. And first of all, I want to share something personal, and that is about the holidays, because I think a lot of people lose sight at how hard the holidays are for people. I think the holidays are hard for some people, and they mask it because they whether they have kids or, 
or grandkids, friends, family, whatever it might be, and they put on a big smile. But, you know, a lot of people, whether even if they're just alone because they don't have a, a significant other in their life, but in a lot of times it's about the loss and the significant loss you've had in your own personal life. And this is coming from someone that has lost four family members in the last couple of years, uh, both my parents, my, uh, my significant other's father, uh, my significant other's brother. It's been very hard for us personally. And I want people to know that you're, if you are struggling during the holidays, that you are not alone. And don't sit there and think you are alone and, and potentially do something harmful to yourself. You are not alone. Maybe it's too hard to talk to someone that you know really well. Maybe you need to talk to someone that you don't know as well. It might be easier to open up to someone you don't know as well. So please, please keep that in mind. You are not alone. There are thousands, millions, billions of people across the globe that have the same struggles with you around these types of, of parts of the year. So don't feel you're alone there. And while I speak of, of that, let me kind of transition into the, the last couple of weeks of my life and especially what happened on Friday the 23rd, because with that loss that we've had in my life, uh, you know, my, um, my mother-in-law, in essence, uh, has, has come to live with us. And what transpired to get her here was, was something... Uh, right out of a circus. This this would be this would be a slapstick comedy if, if they tried to turn this into something. And and, and this is this is what we had to do to, to make this happen. So uh, you know they the, my uh, significant other's family they live in Wyoming, um, and 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 that's where they were. And because of the the deaths I talked about in the family, um, my mother in law was taking care of four cats. So those four cats have now come to live with us. And, and while that's crazy to have four cats, we, we are, as a family, are people who, who also enjoy the company of pets. And we have three dogs and two cats of our own. So we now have six cats and three dogs living under one house. That is absolute insanity. We have not mixed them together yet. It's only been a few days. But uh, looking forward, not so much looking forward to how, how that's going to go. So cross your fingers there. But to get to this point, th this is what had to happen. So we, we, with all the, the crazy weather that was happening last week around the country, in Wyoming, specifically where, where we were, which was Casper, um, this kind of cold I didn't know existed except maybe in Antarctica or the North Pole. The temperature on Wednesday night into Thursday morning, I believe it was, or Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, this is without the wind chill. And I know Bears fans like to sit there and go, ah, it was negative 25 wind chill at the game, and I, I was wearing shorts. You know, I understand Chicagoans like to embrace the cold. Do you know how cold it got in Casper, Wyoming, without the wind chill? Negative 42 degrees. The temperature dropped like 50 degrees in like two hours. It might even have been like one hour. It was insane what happened. It was already cold. 
it was already like 15 degrees out and then the temperature plummets like nothing you've ever seen. Like this is like day after tomorrow where like the, the flag is freezing and people are diving to get inside so they don't instantly die from the cold. Like this is what it felt like in Wyoming. This type of thing does not happen. I, I've never experienced anything like this. The, the high temperature one day was like negative 25. The wind chill, the sustained wind chill, not a gust. The sustained wind chill was negative 60. Negative 60, that, that's not a thing. That, that, that doesn't happen. It was colder where I was than it was in Antarctica. I, I don't understand how that's a thing, but that's where we were. So we had travel planned earlier that day, but because of the cold and the blowing snow and everything that was going on, they closed the highway. So we had to get to Denver to fly out because you can't fly out of Casper, Wyoming with four cats and three people, especially as, as I continue with this story. So my mother-in-law needs two knee replacement surgeries. So she has mobility issues. And, and Kelsey, my, my significant other, she uh, has a high ankle sprain, might need surgery. We'll, we'll find out more about that in the next week or two. But she herself is is, is got mobility issues. So, so keep all this in mind as, as we move forward. So we, we get the house closed up and we get the car loaded with six checked bags. And of those six checked bags, two large suitcases and two giant oversized duffels. So we got we got a Toyota 4Runner, we grabbed the six checked bags in, into the back. Uh, my, my girl, she's, she's in the back seat with the four cats just piled on one side of the car in those like soft carriers that you need, need for the airlines. And, and my mother-in-law is in the front seat. And off we go to Denver, to Denver International Airport. You know, we, we, we leave a little bit later, but we make good time. You know, no issues on the road. So far, so good. We show up at departures. And, and we, we have to, now, keep this in mind. So we're, we're at departures. And anyone who's been at the airport understands the police and the security officers out there, they want you to keep that car moving, keep that car moving. Keep, they, they don't want anyone parked in that area. But me, I'm the only able-bodied person in our party. So I have to get two women, four cats, into an area where they can sit inside and then check six bags. And oh, by the way, this is a rental car. So I have to get all that done. Then I have to get back in the car and get out to the rental you know, lots, which are you know miles away as they are at most of these large airports. So, so we get there. And, you know, I tell the security officer, I'm like, all right, I just have to help help her in. I get my mother-in-law, I get her in, get her settled into an area where, where there's some seats and everything. So, so we, get, we get her in and get her settled down. Now I have to get my girlfriend in, we get her in, and, 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 and I get her in. Now keep in mind, the car is still out there. Now I'm shuttling in all the luggage and the cats into the, the airport. But here's the thing, you can't just leave the cats with the two women and have me go and check the bags. No, because they have to check the carriers, you have to examine them at the ticket counter because you have to pay for the, the animals that you're taking on. You can't pay for them in advance, you have to pay for them at the ticket counter. So I have six bags and four cats, and then you know the, the, the two women are in, in the wheelchairs, and I have to wheel them forward one by one. Keep in mind the car is still out in the departure area, area. I, I, I'm dealing with all this. We're checking the bags through. We're, we're having the cats checked and the cats need these tags and I'm wheeling people back and forth. And now I got security offers coming 
into the airport to yell at me and say, your car's been there for 15 minutes. You need to move it now. I almost laugh and be like, my car's been there for an hour, officer. I don't know where you got 15 minutes, but it is absolute chaos. So we get all that checked. We, we get the, the four cats and, and, and the, the, the two women, we get them settled and I go running back out of the car. And I don't know if any of you have seen me. I am not Usain Bolt. I am not Justin Fields. I am not, hell, I'm not <laughs> Cody Whitehair. I am not exactly a fine-tuned athlete at, at this point in my life. I get hustling out to the car. I got the security officer yelling at me, oh, lucky this car hasn't been towed. If the car would have been towed, probably would have been a blessing at this point that I didn't have to deal with it. Get in the car, get booked out to, to the, the rental area. Of course, the car's on empty. I got to go find a gas station. I get a gas station. The line's around the block. I get the, the car over. Now, because of all the bad weather at DIA, it is an S show everywhere. No, there's, there's buses aren't running and everything. So I, my car rental company is basically borrowing buses from other, other people. They got these little van shuttles. You know, the, the guy goes, oh, we're out of seats. I'm like, oh, I don't care. Just let me stand at this point. I need to get back to the airport because while we left three hours, three hours, we got there before our flight. I've already burned an hour and a half of this and I'm way the hell out by, by rental cars. So I get on the shuttle, get flying back, and we I, I get to the, the two women and the four cats. And we are ready to go. We, we flag down the, the, the airline people that are going to assist us, and away we go to security, where you sit there and go, now hopefully things will go a little bit smoother. Now the good thing when you've got people with the mobility assistance is you do not need to stand in the regular line at security. So we get to get bumped forward for the people that have special assistance. And we get up to the front and we're sitting there saying, okay, let's get through security. And now guess what we find out? The carriers have to go through the x-ray machines, but you can't put a cat through the x-ray machine. So the cats have to come out of the carrier. This is not a dog on a leash, people. This is a cat. This is a cat with 20 machetes, you know, attached to their, their, their toes. And they have to come out in, in the airport. What, 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 who thinks they should put a cat out in security and try and carry them through? So not only do we have to do this, but I need to explain to the TSA people, I'm the only able-bodied person. They can't carry cats. They're getting wheeled through and getting special, you know, scans or whatever because they can't go through the regular machine. So I have to take not one, not two, not three, but four cats through security one by one and the first couple cats they were a little too nervous i was like okay this is going okay they just kind of sat there as i carried them through and the carriers came through we got them back into the carrier and then the other cats it got interesting because the other cats decided that with thousands of people around them that this was a good time to freak the f out and those claws came out and the machetes were swiping at anything they could find as I'm holding on to this cat with anything I have. Because I don't know if you realize if you drop a cat in security and they go running between all the people, that's the end of the cat. You are not either making your flight or keeping your cat. So luckily we hold on to the machete. I don't have too many scratches on me somehow, some way that kind of kept the claws away from me. We get the last two cats in and now 
we're through security. We keep making progress. But by this time, we roll up to the gate right as they say, you know, those who need extra time to board, please board now. We don't have time. No one's eaten. No one's had a, a, a drop of, of fluids to drink. That we were gonna, someone needed headphones, nothing. We onto the airplane we go. Now we're trying to get this settled in. So the way we had to do this is they have limitations as to how many animals you can have on board. So we had to buy two first class tickets because we couldn't have all the cats in coach because there's limits as to how many animals you can have everywhere. So you can have two cats in first class and you can have two cats in coach and you can only have four cats or dogs on the plane. So we took up all the pet spots on the plane. So my, but the two women, they get to sit in first class because they're the ones with that, that have some, some mobility issues. So they each get a cat. We had to buy an additional flight, uh, additional ticket in coach just so we can have two, you know, two cats with me in coach. And, and I sit there and this lady sits down next to me as we're getting settled in. Well, not next to me. She's got the window. I got the aisle in the middle seat. And I sit there and go, I got good news and bad news for you. She goes, what's that? Like, well, the good news is that I've owned both these seats. So it's gonna, it's, despite this being a full flight, you're actually gonna have an empty seat next to you. But the bad news is, is these two cats have never been on an airplane and they tend to be really loud. So this may be a really horrific flight for you and everyone around you. Somehow, some way, the cat, we, we get all the cats, everyone settled on the flight and the cats behave themselves. They, they'll, they'll drive down, they were screaming for four straight hours. Oh my God, my ears. And one of them was trying to punch his way out, just all just punching the, 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 the soft carrier the whole time, punch, trying to punch his way out in the car. And we're sitting there going, he's like, oh my God, the zipper's starting to part. But he never punched his way out. And luckily, once we got on the plane, they sat there probably terrified under the seat in front of you and didn't say a peep for four hours as we flew from Denver to New York. So you'd sit there and say, you've made it to New York and, and that's the end of the issue. Oh no, that's not the end of the issue. So we get we get taxied and now they can't find anyone to, to be a gate agent. So they finally find a gate agent. Then apparently we had a new person who had no idea how to operate the jetway. So they had to find another person who knew how to operate the jetway. So now we're sitting out there for like an extra hour. Now keep in mind, these cats have been in these carriers except for security at this point for probably around 12 to 13 hours at this point. They probably need to go to the bathroom. So the extra 45 minutes or whatever it was while we sat there and waited to, to deplane was not something that was welcomed by anybody, but that's all right. We get deplaned, of course, because we're the ones with mobility issues and the animals, we have to let everyone off the plane first. And now we are finally ready to get off the plane. So we get off the plane, we get the four cats, and off we go to baggage claim. Now keep in mind, how many bags did we have? We had six bags in the baggage claim. So somehow, someway, congratulations, every bag makes it to New York. We collect all the bags and the four cats and my, the, the two women, and we've got everything settled at baggage claim. And of course, we had two people helping us out, you know, the, the, that helped push the wheelchairs and and whatnot. But that's not over now, folks, because we don't have any transportation. And because of our situation, we needed to rent another car. Even though we live in New York, we cannot have a, it's a long story, but we need to rent another car. So now what do I get to do? As the only able-bodied person, I have to go running out to a rental car. 
uh, to the rental car place. Now, at JFK, you got to take this train. Uh, it's a whole pain in the neck. I get out to the rental car area, and of course, welcome to New York. Some guy doesn't hold the, the door for me, slams the door right in my face. I was literally like a foot behind him. Slams the door in my face, cuts my hand up on the glass. Uh, it was just fantastic. So finally get to the rental car, get the actual car. They give us a Jeep Cherokee. Now, here's the issue with the Jeep Cherokee. I wanted the biggest SUV basically they had, the biggest one they had left, is the Jeep Cherokee. It's a very nice car. No complaints about the actual car, the Jeep Cherokee. But it's not as big as the 4Runner. And the 4Runner, we barely got everything to fit in the back and the, the four cats and, and, and the three people in the car. We managed to do it with the 4Runner. Now I'm sitting there going, I got to do this in the Jeep Cherokee? And it's a lot smaller, folks. It's a lot smaller. So we get, I get to... That you know, I get the car, go back to arrivals, and now I have to get the car loaded and people on the car, and again, deal with security. And now it's probably about midnight Eastern, something like that, 12, 12 30, I would guess. So, getting all the bags out, get the two huge duffels on there, figure out a way to get the suitcases on. I've still got more stuff to put on there, and all of a sudden, I see that there's a space. And we have a soft bag that's just got blankets and pillows in it. And I just take this thing and I start ramming it as, as hard as I could. I punching this thing like Rocky Balboa to try and get it to squeeze in there. And, and one of the, the poor airline helpers is watching me do this. His eyes are bugging out of his head because he's like, oh my God, what is wrong with this man? You don't know what this man has been up with the last 15 hours. But get the bags in and they are stacked to the ceiling. Like, okay, so now... Their back seat, not enough room for the four cats. So now one cat has to ride uh, to ride in the lap. Mother-in-law, one cat has to ride on my, my girl's lap, and the other two sit next to you. And we're like, okay, got everything. And then as the, the women are coming out, oh crap, there's the walker and the crutches for the two people that have knee issues and, and, and a seriously injured ankle. I forgot about them. I don't know where the hell they're going in this thing. So we somehow cram the, the walker folded down. We somehow cram it in behind the back seat. The crutches are just strewn through the car. And the, there's two cats on a lap and off we go. And you sit there and go, oh, you think that's it? No, because remember the cats have been locked up for 15 hours. And had it been 14 hours, we would have made it. But those 45 minutes we waited for the flight, the cats said that's enough. And that's all they could hold folks. So one of them, the one in the back seat on my girl's lap, relieves herself. And I don't know if you've ever smelled cat pee, but it's one of the most foul-smelling things on the planet. It kind of smells like a dead tuna fish had been rotting in a heat duct for, for four weeks during the winter. And now the car has permeated with this. Smell. And I wish I could tell you, we're about 45 minutes from the airport. I wish I could tell you that this was about 30, 40 minutes. And oh, this was about five, 10 minutes into the flight. Then one of the cats also decided to, you know, make a deposit and stick that in the, in the back of their carrier. So now we got crap and cat piss smell. And it's about 10 degrees outside. So we decide to roll down the windows despite the fact that it is literally like negative five with the windshield and we're whipping down the highway at 65 miles per hour. But, but there was no way at this point I was stopping. We trek all the way home. We get home at 1.30 in the morning. And by the time we get the cats settled into a room, 
get everyone in, get the luggage in, have something to eat. Thank you, uh, DoorDash and McDonald's for being open 24-7. That was about the best meal at 3.30 in the morning I've ever had in my life. And that includes a lot of drunk college nights with a lot of good food at 3.30 in the morning. Get everyone settled and get to bed right around 5 a.m. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how I spent December 23rd. I hope all of you had a much more peaceful day than that leading into the Christmas holidays. Kevin Fishbane joins us next. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for this next guest. He's come on the last few years and he comes on again. You all know him very well. At K Fishbane on Twitter. He's part of the Bears beat on The Athletic. Kevin Fishbane and he joins us now. Kevin, Bill Zimmerman, how are you doing? I'm good, Bill. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you and yours. Uh, glad uh, glad your family is doing well. And and I wanted to, you know, just kind of chat. We're getting kind of towards the end of the year. Not kind of, we are basically at the end of the year, uh, especially for the Chicago Bears who have been eliminated from playoff contention for a few weeks. And, and you kind of get to this, this wind down part of the season where, you know, a lot of fans want to look ahead. Obviously the coaching staff wants to continue to try and focus on this season and wins and growing and developing. So when we get to this part of the season as a beat writer, where, where do you like to focus? Where, where does your attention go? Because, because obviously, you know, this is in, in essence a lost season at, at, uh, at their current record. So what do you try and extrapolate from, you know, these upcoming last two games and the couple previous couple games? Yeah, Bill, it's uh, it's a mix. Um, I think that we all know, and, and you certainly know this, um, fans and readers love the offseason, right? We live in a transactional world. We live in a world that you speculation is king. So, you know, look, I, I love doing mock drafts. I love reading mock drafts. I will read mock free agency stuff, you know, so I like that, you know, and probably started doing some of that stuff, you know, maybe more so just breaking down the roster. Um, so stuff that's kind of looking ahead, you know, Sundays and Mondays, it's to me are still towards breaking down the game and what's made this season a little bit easier, despite the record for our purposes are two things. One is Justin Fields, obviously, because I think regardless of what's around him, I think every Bears fan wants to know, continue learning about him and continue watching his progress. And I think for those of us covering the team want to see that too. So, I mean, every snap he takes is still incredibly relevant to uh, the future of this team. And the second thing has made this season a little easier than compared to say, you know, the 2016 three and 13 team, even shoot bill the, I mean, that, uh, that eight and eight team in 2019 was brutal to cover. Sure. Um, um, it's a great locker room. It really is. Um, we actually, you and, you and I are taping this on Tuesday afternoon. On Wednesday, fans will find out who our you know media good guy award is, and there were a lot of really good options this year. Um, so it's just a it's a it's a good locker room. It's a very young locker room. Obviously, it's an incredibly young team, 
So you have a lot of rookies, you have a lot of guys on one-year deals. So it's just, um, you know, I don't want people to think that these guys are enjoying the record. Um, it's just, there's no drama. They're not, they're not expectations. These guys saw Rob Smith get traded. They saw Robert Quinn get traded. They understand what's going on. So, you know, yeah, to go back to your question, I think as a beat writer, I want to really focus on when I'm talking about the current team, I really want to focus on guys who might be part of this thing moving forward. Your Justin Fields is your Kyler Gordons, Valus Jones, Jaquan Brisker, guys like that. And then in the middle of the week, you know, what, what normally is time for a beat writer to break down a matchup or look at interesting connections between the two teams or talk strategy middle of the week, I've kind of used towards looking ahead and, and talking about um, the roster. And, and, and I think we actually, I think there, we have another mock draft coming later this week and, and my colleague Adam Johns and I today are working up uh, just a story, just kind of talking about some of the, the scenarios for the bears. So, um, that's kind of how we've replaced what would normally be kind of Wednesday, Thursday, uh, minutia, if you will, from Hallis Hall. Sure. Um, well, you, you kind of talked about, you know, guys who are going to be part of this team moving forward. And, and let, I want to kind of focus on that because the, you know, there's not too much benefit in terms of breaking down bears lions and, and, and trying to go matchup by matchup, especially with all the injuries this has to the players, a lot of the players that will be part of this team moving forward. So let, let's kind of start with Ryan Pohl's rookie class here. And I, I think a lot of the, the late round picks, you know, there's sure there's Trenton Gill and, and things like that. You know, you kind of get incompletes on because a lot of those six, six rounders and stuff didn't get a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, opportunities after the preseason, but how do you feel Ryan Poles, you know, obviously you can't really grade a draft class for a few years and, and let these guys develop, but how do you think Ryan Poles' draft class is trending at this point through one season? Yeah, it, it's okay, Bill. I think that, you know, and we can get into this later too. The problem that I feel like Ryan Poles is, is going to have, the challenge that awaits him is this is not the year to have $170 million in cap space, right? Like this is just not, it, it, I mean, you, you, you're thrilled to have it, but it's not like um, you, you, it's not going to be an abundance of great free agents. Um, the trade market, who knows what that's going to be like, but you're certainly not going to get the wide receivers that were on last year's trade market. So, you know, so you should be careful too, because obviously some guys might get, might want to you know, guys we have we never thought of would get traded today could be asking for trades commerce so with that said i kind of recalibrate it's like you, you kind of almost needed more out of this draft class um than maybe what we kind of thought and it's not fair to the players he drafted of course it's just kind of the reality so you know i you, i think you always hear people say you'd love to get three starters from any draft um and, and i think the bears have that in jaquan brisker kyler gordon braxton jones I would say Brisker has proven to be a playmaker and that's that he was, I, he was probably my favorite pick of the draft. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think Kyler Gordon has obviously had his struggles. That's such a tough position when you're a rookie to be the quarterback that every quarterback targets. He's coming on strong of late. Um, Braxton Jones. I mean, you know, the, the guys held it down all year. I give him a lot of credit. Uh, you know, does that mean the bears are set for the next 10 years with him at left tackle? I don't know but I, I think they have something there. Um, and you know what you might look, you mentioned Trent Gill. They might have their punter for the next 15 years. I think that's not, you know, it's not nothing to ignore. So you look at those four and you're like, okay, 
that, that you'll take that. I think a lot of GMs would take that, assuming Kyler Gordon, you know, kind of and Jaquan Brisker kind of stay on their track. Um, but as I said, I, I think you, you kind of wanted more when you look at what's ahead. You wanted Trustin Ebner to show what he showed in the preseason, and he hasn't. You want Dominique Robinson to not have all of his quarterback hits literally in the first game of the season. Um, <laughs> you know, Zach Thomas, who when they drafted him and you looked at his athletic traits and all those things, you're thinking, oh, he could be your starting right guard. The guy never cracked the second team, and now he's on the Rams. Um, Jatari Carter, we who knows? Could be something one day. He's never played, uh, you know, outside. I think he's maybe been active once or twice this year. Um, who am I missing here? Uh, I think Doug Kramer was hurt. Yeah, Doug Kramer's um, hurt. And, I mean, that that's somebody who's, you know, going to probably be a career practice squad center. Is, you most know. likely. So, you know, this is it. If those four guys I mentioned, if three years from now we're still talking about those four guys, great. Good draft. Oh, and Bayless Jones. Yeah, and that, right. and that was where and that was where I was going to go, kind of with the last one with this rookie class, because we we know the athletic traits and the speed that that he possesses, and obviously, uh, I don't think anyone, even you know, and look, I I criticized that draft pick at the time. I wasn't a big, you know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, taking guys that don't excel at the college level until they're literally three or four years older than than their competition at that point, but. You know, the athletic traits and everything were there, but, you know, this has obviously been a struggle for him this year. Uh, you know, he's, he's he's lost playing time. He was active, then he's inactive. So, you know, at, at this point, and some of it I think is unfair to do to a third-round pick, but he was the first offensive player taken for Justin Fields, in essence, in the draft. So, you know, extra pressure and extra you know, expectations get put on him. So kind of where are you with Velas Jones? And, and do you do you see enough where maybe there is something there in the future? Or is this, you know, just going to be a four-year roster player who just kind of disappears? Yeah, I mean, I guess recency bias comes into play here. He just had that probably his best game with the 44-yard catch. And even, you know, this is really small, but he had an eight-yard catch or in the game that was on a little bit of a slant kind of hitch pattern. And that was his first catch that wasn't like a screen or a touch pass on a jet sweep. And, and so to me, it's little, little, inty tiny bit steps of growth. Um, so I really want to see what he does in these last two games. I think there's something there to make him a gadget player. Um, but the problem is, as you said, third round pick, first offensive player taken by this regime. And you look at, he was joining a team whose wide receivers after Darnell Mooney were guys who wouldn't make a lot of rosters maybe. And so there was, should have been an opportunity. I mean, he should have been starting um, if he was, you know, considering what this team had. Um, so I think in that essence, it's a little bit of a disappointment. Um, but, you know, I, I think my, my thing too, Bill, is kickoff returns in the third round. It's just like, I know a lot of people, when I, I said that in an article recently, a lot of people said, well, the Bears drafted the greatest one ever in the second round. Well, that's, you know, okay, if Bayless Jones becomes Devin Hester, great. You tip your cap. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not ready to anoint the guy who fumbled two punts, lost his job. Um, but he's really been, I mean, I just looked the other today. The Bears are third in the league in kickoff return average. And he's a big part of that. So, you know, I think that's good. It's important, especially in Chicago, where you know you cut to November, December, you're going to be returning a lot of kickoffs. But that's not a third round pick. You go find those guys other places. Um, so you know, for him to make that draft pick worthwhile, 
you know, he's got to be doing what, like 500 yards of offense a year, something like that. Can he beat Tariq Cohen? Can he be just your gadget guy? Um, so I'd like to see them find a way to utilize him on offense. Cause otherwise, otherwise, otherwise you're, you're talking about a waste of a pick, frankly, um, if he can't get there. Can he? I don't know. Um, you know, we still need to see more, but I think I think there's, you can be a little bit more hopeful based on what he did on Sunday or Saturday. Yeah, and 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 I think that's the hope. Like you said, I think gadget player, and if you know, in in some way they can add to this offense where they have more offensive players, where there can be less attention on him, I think that opens up the door to kind of have that gadget gadget role a lot more. But I agree with you. Like you said, I think I think kickoff returns continue to lose importance. Uh, as a part of this, uh, you know, current NFL with touchbacks, you know, being more prevalent and getting it about to 25, it's just not as important as it used to be. And it'll probably continue to trend that way. But, but, you know, kind of overall and kind of looking at this team, there's, there's one rookie we haven't talked about because he was not part of the draft class. And, and I feel like you just got to bring him up because he's just a lot of fun to talk about. And that's Jack Sanborn and, and what, you know, disappointing that obviously he doesn't get to finish the year. But, you know, it, it's kind of funny as he as after the Roquan trade and I continue to have these interviews and whether they be with Adam Johns or, or Brad Biggs and, and or, or Courtney Cronin, I can't keep talking through through the beat throughout the year. And, and he just keeps getting elevated and elevated and elevated with his play to the point now that, you know, if I'm Ryan Poles looking at the 2023 roster, I don't see any reason to not just pencil him in at Mike and not even, you know, at least give him full opportunity to have a full season. I don't think there's any reason at this point to even consider replacing him. No, yeah, I, I think that, like, at minimum, he's your starting Sam next year. You know, I think that, like, you you can bring in other guys and he gets the first reps at first team and, and you know, it's his job to lose kind of thing. Um, and, and look, I mean, I, I will hand up, like when, when it came time for him to step in, I kind of was like, okay, I understand he's the local guy, he's Wisconsin. Like I get it. Why everyone's excited about him. He's got a great name, Jack Sanborn. I mean, it's like, how can you not be a linebacker with that name? Um, you know, but I, I just like, look, there's a reason this guy was undrafted. There's a reason this guy is in crack to depth chart. Yes. He's been nice on special teams, but that's probably who he is. And he really impressed me. And he was a great example of how far instincts can take you sure. and just being physical and just, I mean, when he hits, you feel it in the press box, you feel it in the stands. Um, and that, that's something that, you know, can't necessarily be taught. Um, so I give a lot of credit to him. I give a lot of credit to the coaching staff, um, you know, for the way that he's, he played and he took advantage. I mean, he, I, I want to say he had more splash plays per game than Roquan Smith did. And, you know, it's, maybe it's a little unfair when you look at the way the games went, and, you know, but he, he earned it, you know, so I'm with you. I think that uh, I say he should probably be your starting back because the thing too, Bill, is the way this defense is when you're talking about resources, those got to go to the will. Those got to go to the weak side linebacker. That's where you want to make your splash. Sure. Um, you know, you don't, you don't need to necessarily go spend a bunch of money or a premium draft pick on a Mike linebacker, especially when you got a guy who you know can, can be served more than serviceable and do the job. Again, I don't think they should ignore it. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not ready to say he's your starting Mike for the next five years. Um, but I certainly like the idea that, that that is one spot, as you kind of said, Ryan Poles doesn't need to worry about. Yeah. Cause the way I look at it, I mean, you know, I don't think you can be too confident on, you know, when you look at the 2022 roster, guys, you're comfortable starting in 2023, 
I don't think that number is more than about seven or eight. You know, I haven't looked at it specifically. Maybe it's 10. So they're, they're not going to be able to replace everybody in one offseason, even with the obscene amount of cap space that they have. So I think you look at guys like Sanborn and go, well, absolutely, let's give them the opportunity. There's like you said, there's not a point to spend resources there right now. Uh, you know, obviously want to get to a couple more things before I let you go. Offensive line, you mentioned Braxton Jones, Tevin Jenkins, another guy who has performed really well. But other than that, I think there's been a lot of struggles up front there. I know the run, it's it's kind of an odd offensive line that that run blocks so well and, and struggles more in the pass block. You know, it, it's it's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde situation. But, you know, Cody Whitehair, since he came back from, from injury, has not been as good as he was at the beginning of the season. Now, obviously, he's hurt again, and, and I, I wonder if he has played his final game in a, in a Chicago Bears uniform. Doesn't seem like Larry Borum is the answer out there, and, and you know, I definitely think they need to upgrade at center. So with what kind of, you know, if you were in charge, what kind of off-season approach would you have trying to rebuild this offensive line? Yeah, well, I think you put it, you know, nicely there, Bill. I think at minimum you need three starters, three brand new starters. I just, I can't, I can't sit there and say any of those guys you kind of just went through outside Braxton Jones and Tevin Jenkins and shoot. I don't think they should be, you know, precluded from finding a new left tackle or a new right guard if, if, if one pops into their hands. It's just too important of a position group. It's one that has eluded this franchise for so many years. It's one that the GM and assistant GM are supposed to be experts in, um, you know, when I, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier with the free agency class, you saw, you know, Eldon Jenkins and Jack Conklin side those extensions, and that's kind of going to water, help water down the class. You're not going to take an offensive lineman if you stay at two or three, um, most likely. So, you know, but you got to find guys. I just think that I, I wonder if that's a position you look back and, you know, they made that play for Ryan Bates, which is something I think we forget about, you know, when everyone talks about, oh, they didn't do anything this offseason. Well, they, they did try to give an offensive lineman a $7 million a year deal, and the Bills matched it. Um, but I, I wonder if that's one of those maybe regrets that they didn't at least do a, make some kind of splash on another guy in free agency, or maybe not take it, or, or they didn't take an offensive lineman one of those first three picks uh, because, you know, and look, the Tevin Jenkins thing has been a great revelation. The Braxton Jones thing has been a great revelation. Can you imagine if those things didn't happen, Bill? I mean, sure. like, like we're talking about this offensive line needing three starters. That is with the fact that a fifth round pick out of Southern Utah has held the zone at left tackle. And a guy who spent most of his college career and his rookie season at tackle ended up playing really well for you at right guard. Nobody saw that coming with Tevin Jenkins. You told me on July 27th, you know, he would be, have played as well as he did, I'd say no way. I'd say for what – I would have said – you know what I said, Bill? I would have said for what team? And that's how, <laughs> that's how crazy things were in late July. So, you know, they got really lucky with those two. You know, Lucas Patrick's an interesting part of this equation. I got to tell you, inside that building, and they weren't shy about it, that was the guy they were totally banking on, being the glue for this offense. And – he, you know, he has the thumb injury the second day of training camp. And then by the time he's back, he's playing some guards. He can't snap. I just, I, you know, I, 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 I think that he still might be your starting center next year. Like that's how much Ryan pulls like this guy. Huh. And I, now you, the flip side of that is they liked him so much. They only gave him a two-year deal worth whatever, whatever it was like 7 million. Um, so again, that's not a spot you can just ignore, but you wonder what this offensive line would look like if he'd actually 
started at center the way he was supposed to. You know, it's just something that it's easy to forget that like they were really putting a lot of confidence in what he was going to bring to this offensive line, and he never got an opportunity to do it because of injuries. Does he get that opportunity next year? Um, I again, I think they got to be open um, to other spots, but yeah, I, I think you've got to do a lot of work there. But as you said earlier, there's so many needs that maybe that's why you go with Lucas Patrick as your starting center next year because you just you, you can only replace so many of these guys in one offseason, right? And and I know he had what seven or eight snaps. I think whatever it was at center for the entire year because he was stuck right. at guard because of the, the the situation at hand. And look, I know guard and center are two different positions. I know we've seen plenty of examples of guys who perform well at center and can't at guard and vice versa, but he struggled so much at guard. I yeah. just can't, you know, as, as a Bears fan, as a, you know, someone who, who covers the Bears as well, I can't sit there and be comfortable. If they say we're penciling Lucas Patrick at center and they don't have viable competition for him you know maybe it's you roll the dice and see if if you know uh you know luke weipler is there in the third round or something i don't know exactly where he's going to end up but you know something like that where you can draft a center and and then there's your competition but if it's lucas patrick's job to have i just i just don't i would not feel confident in that decision no and i don't blame you i i don't and and, and look lucas patrick himself can't necessarily expect that it's going to be the final year of a two-year deal that wasn't worth a ton of money. So, you know, it, it, that, that I, I just bring that up because, again, I hearken back to when they signed him. And then just kind of they, there was just this, this confidence in what that guy was going to bring. I don't know if he was – I don't think he was voted captain. But, you know, you could just tell that he was a loud voice in that room um, and that he was going to be the guy that set the tone. Um, now you know, he might've been setting the tone more intangibly and not actually on the field with his play. Um, but yeah, that's just something as they, as we get to next year, just kind of file away how much the GM really liked him. Um, and, and that, you know, because that could kind of tell you when, when you're looking at who they're bringing in, but I, I'm with them. I, mean, I think they got to bring in somebody else and, and, and give somebody a look there. Um, especially if you're trying to build this thing for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the long term, uh, I, I think a lot of Bears fans are hopeful they do have the long term answer quarterback. Justin Fields has been a lot of fun this year. Obviously, we got to talk about him before we wrap up and, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, your experience, you know, covering him and, and what you've seen. I know, you know, certain people on the beat, and, you know, in Chicago media and fans as well are, you know, not satisfied with what they've seen in the passing game. And I think there's a lot of factors that play into that, especially when Mooney is out and Claypool's out and, you know, he doesn't really have a lot of viable options to throw to. And also the, the game plan uh, that, that gets, he's been putting forward uh, on a lot of weeks. I, I think obviously those, those factors play into it because when you do look at the advanced passing stats that kind of break things down, it's a lot of positives for Justin Fields throwing the football, not just running the football. So kind of, you know, with, with a couple of games to go, where are you and how comfortable are you with Justin Fields, not being the quarterback for the next few years, but a guy who can, they can legitimately win with and be, you know, basically a top 10 quarterback moving forward. Well, if you told me in June that the bears would have three wins and be lined up for the number two pick of the draft, I would be probably asked telling you, well, I'd, should start watching Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. 
So, you know, the fact that they're in this position and you don't need to be doing that, I think says a lot about fields, but also says a lot about how far this team needs to go. Um, I done things that I've never seen before. Um, like when he, like the amount of times that soldier field not going to sit there and, and you just, you just go, he's gone. It, it's incredible what he's done. Um, I think since the mini buy, his accuracy as a passer has really improved. Um, I don't understand what's going on with the swing passes. It's a very strange <laughs> little like fluky thing. I think Luke Getzi was actually asked about it and he kind of poo pooed the, the question, but it does seem like that's not Field's favorite throw because that's been a little <laughs> shaky. But I bring that up because one of my one of the things I've, I had written about earlier in the season was he wasn't making layups. Like he wasn't hitting open guys in the short to intermediate. I think he's done a much better job of that um, since the offense has done better. Um, but, you know, look, the, the guy, um, there's a lot of room for him to grow as a passer. Um, and there are, you know, I, I've kind of been always careful to say, as you kind of said, he's got the worst receiving core in football right now. He's got maybe one of the worst offensive lines in football right now. Um, but he has to be better. And, and I, you know, I, I like to think he would say the same thing. So the bears are in a good spot because they don't have to be studying Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and Will Levis. And they can trade that pick to somebody else who wants one of those guys. They can have a full off season or really now they really know what Justin Fields can do, what he's capable of doing and kind of build from there. Um, which is good. Um, but you know, there's, Look, there's, you know, I guess I can't, you know, you've got Mahomes, Allen, Herbert. Um, help me out here. Like, like those young quarterbacks that, that are just, Burrow. yeah, like they're just top of the, you know, cream of the crop right now, right? Like he's nowhere near those guys right now. Um, and, and that's not to say he can't get there. I think the guy's got all the tools in the world. I've always thought that, that he's done all the tools in the world. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I think it's okay to want to see it. You know, I want to see more. I want to keep watching this guy grow. I want to keep watching this guy ascend. So I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful for him and, and, and what the Bears can do. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not building a statue outside of Soldier Field yet. Um, yeah. I, you know, which is, I, I, it, 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 it's, I understand it's been a very, like, it's been a very touchy subject because, like, I'm trying to find myself in this, like, middle ground, which, like, you think is okay. But part of being in the middle ground is when you say nice things about him. Well, wait a second, you're going way too overboard. But then when you're saying anything critical, oh, whoa, whoa, it's way too critical. Like, I understand it's a hot button topic in town, and I love it. You know, it's like it, – that's one of the reasons I love covering this team is, is the passion of the fan base and the passion when it comes to this position that has just been – you know, this this city has been a black hole for quarterbacks forever. Um so, you know, I'm, you know, is he it, as you said, you know, you said, it's like, I'm not ready to say he's it for the next five, 10 years, you know, but he, they have something that, that they have never had as long as I've been covering them that they maybe haven't had ever. It's just a question of what is that ceiling? And I don't know what that ceiling is yet. I, I don't, I don't know if he could ever be in that group of guys I just mentioned. And that that's okay. Like he doesn't need to necessarily get to that group because of what he does for you as a runner. And if you build the team around him the right way, um, it, that, like that's fine. It's probably unfair to even say like, oh, I need him to be the next Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. Um, but uh, yeah, there's just, there's, it's just interesting to have watched this season and 
like there's just such still such little um sample size of him throwing the football right like i just i just just want to see more because i want to learn more about what he's capable of and i just don't know if we've seen and that that's i'd say more as a positive like i just don't know if we've seen what he's what he can do yeah and and i i think that's a fair assessment and that was the my, my biggest concern you know going into this year was you know was the short game and and like you said missing the missing the layups and you know, to me, that was a big thing that derailed Josh Rosen. I mean, you go find Josh Rosen NFL highlights on YouTube and you will find beautiful deep ball after beautiful deep ball after beautiful deep ball. But anytime you need to throw the ball less than 10 yards, the ball was all over the place, poor decisions, turnovers. And that's where I was worried with fields is that he needed that short game to come together. And we're, we're seeing that come together, but the the thing, and I know most of this is with the legs at this point. I do know he's made some dynamic throws and stuff, and and I I have confidence in, in the arm talent. But the one thing that is just so unique to this season for me is when um, you know, and I'll, I'll just bring up Trubisky as an example and Cutler as an example. When you heard people around the league talking about Cutler, they always talked about the arm, and they didn't talk about anything else about Cutler in a positive. But it was always about the arm. Trubisky was always says he's a great teammate. He's he's a great guy. You know, you always heard about his the the intangibles he had in the locker room, but you didn't hear as much uh, on the field with fields around the league. And a lot of it is players who go up against him, who sit there and basically have their jaw dropped and go, I, I've never seen this. This, you know, I don't, you know, I didn't see him do this at Ohio State. I didn't know he was capable of this. There's the there's defensive players who sit here after Bears games, and they, they won the game and probably won it by, by more than a touchdown uh, the way a lot of these games went. But they sit there and go, this guy is something because we've never seen anything like it. And that, to me, is the most exciting thing, that this isn't you know just you know the Athletic and the Chicago Tribune or Windy City Gridiron. They're going, hey, I think Justin Fields is something. I mean, this is Darius Slay. This is you know elite defensive players who are going, this guy's unbelievable. And you bring up a good point too, Bill, because – you know, when was the last time an opposing team was scheming to stop a Bears quarterback? Johnny Lujak? Right. Like, you know, (laughs) with, with, with Trubisky, there were a lot of things they were scheming to do that would, they felt they could, you know, kind of confuse him. And uh, we still remember the challenges he had with zone defenses um, during his time here. And like, there were certain things you could do cover drive, cover drives with Jay, that can maybe goad him into interceptions with fields. It's like they're, scheming around a strength of his and, and they have to figure out now the bills were obviously onto something i go back actually the falcons were i think the first team to really do this um and if you go back and you look at the offense since that falcons game has really dropped precipitously mm-hmm. um the way some of these teams are defending and and to me you know the, these are growing pains that are going to come with the new offense and you obviously in that span you've lost mooney you've lost Claypool. Um, you've had offensive line injuries. So there's other reasons the offense is struggling. You're playing much better teams. Um, but this is something for Luke Getzey and Matt Eberflus to work on this offseason that, you know, Atlanta did something. I don't know if they were the first to do it necessarily, but other teams are doing similar things. And um, and it's it's worked on fields. So now it's like, all right, how do we adapt to that? And And part of adapting to that is – setting it up where if you're going to stay out wide like that, or if you're going to spy me in the middle, I'm just going to sit in the pocket and launch passes to my guys, but you need those guys to get open bill and you need to have, and you need to have the protection to be able to stand there and do that. So all these things need to come together for it. So 
But that, that's a good point that, that, you know, the way that people talk about fields is just unlike we've seen the way people talked about other quarterbacks here. So it's, it's been, as I said, it's been, it's been fun to watch. What I'm really looking forward to this off season is, is really tapping into other people around the league and seeing what they think of him because he, He's so rare and so unique in what he does. I think a lot of people who are just so ingrained in the way a quarterback is supposed to be just don't know what to do with themselves. And they just don't know. Like I texted I, I texted a few personnel people earlier in the season when this was starting, like around the Miami and Detroit games. And they were kind of like, well, what happened in the final drive? Like that was their first response. And, um, you know, so there's still – and it's still something that obviously feels needs to work on, certainly. But there's a lot of reasons those fourth quarter drives stalled. But I'm interested to see when we have a full season, like what is kind of the tenor around the league? You know, we know what the players think. I think we know what a lot of coaches think. Um, but I'd be curious if, if some people who were not sold on that style are saying like, hmm, they've got something here because we've never seen anything like it. All right. Last thing for you here before I let you go. The the coaching staff and, and specifically Eberflus just – you know, as, as someone covering the team, can you really even give a fair analysis to, to a coaching, st- you know, especially the head coach? Because, I mean, you know, obviously the record sits there and says, well, there hasn't been a, a great job as a coaching staff. You can't have three wins and, and think that it was a phenomenal job. But I sit here at the same time and go, I, I don't think it matters if it was Belichick, Tomlin, McVay, Shanahan, you know, John Harbaugh, uh, you know, maybe would they have four or five wins? Maybe. But, you know, I, I can't sit there and say that this is a coaching, you know, issue that has, you know, it's a it's a lack of talent on the roster issue. So, you know, h- how can you as a, someone covering the team kind of evaluate the job that Matt has done in year one? I think when I, when I speak to the way the locker room has been, it's your first question. Um, you know, I think Iberfus gets credit for that. I mean, you, you see the culture. Here's my problem with kind of culture talk, Bill. When a team is 13 and three, no one, the culture is great. When a team is four and 12, the culture is probably bad, right? You know, this is the rare situation where it's three and 13, the culture is okay, but it's the first year. So of course, you know, it takes what happened in Denver you know, or it happens in Jim Tamasula and you think about other things. So like, you know, yes, you needed to kind of start over a little bit of house hall and really instill something different here. Um, so I think he succeeded in that. I think my devil's advocate would be how much better is the New York Giants roster than what the Chicago Bears have? They got nothing at wide receiver, Right. I know they got the first round pickers done really well at tackle. They've got Dexter Lawrence. They've got a couple of nice players on defense. But I think the Giants are an example where there's you're hearing a lot of talk about Brian Dayball and Joe Shane, and, and, and deservedly so. And I think you know, obviously the team has its limitations. Um, but I think they are a team that you can kind of look at them alongside the bears of whole new regime, kind of rebuilding a young quarterback. That's a little bit unproven, not a lot of talent and they're a win away from the playoffs. Um, now, again, different situations. The bears trade away two of their best players in defense. They've had a lot of injuries, all those, you know, they had, a. I think they're going to end up with the hardest schedule in football and it's all said and done. Um, so, it's like so because of that, like I'm not giving I'm not gonna give Ibrahus a, a total pass um because the roster is bad. I'm not gonna say, well, you know, the roster is bad, so you don't it's okay, because we've seen other teams do it. 
And maybe people who know the Giants better will say it wasn't all day ball. It was all this, this, and this. I don't know. I'm not there. Um, but I guess the question that I'm going to have is, you know, is Matt Eberflus going to be different than John Fox? Like when John Fox got here, now obviously very different coaches. It was the first time a coach versus a guy in John Fox that was, you know, a different part of his career. Sure. And But John Fox came here and he was a perfect coach for a transition because he set the tone in terms of culture and he got things back on track in that realm. Um, but the team wasn't good. And then Matt Nagy gets here and you have this kind of 2018 spark. When the Bears have their spark, is Matt Eberfuss going to be the head coach? And, and I think he certainly can be. I think he cert- we've certainly seen reason to believe that, yeah, when they build this thing to where Ryan Poles wants to build it, Eberfuss is the right coach to lead them in that direction. I'm, I'm kind of posing that question to you and kind of listeners. Like when you think about Eberflus, you think about this league, you think about what you've seen, you think about Justin Fields, all those things. I think it's an interesting thought exercise. Um, you know, I know I'm, 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 I'm not trying to take like the coward's way out here and not give you an answer on that. I just think it's something to think about. Like if, if Ryan Pohl succeeds in building a team that is a consistent playoff team, is Matt Eberflus the head coach of that team? You know, that's kind of the, like, that's, I, that's kind of the way I, I kind of, I guess, throw the question to your question, right? Because, you know, he could have done some nice things this year, but like, it, it, is he the guy or do you need, or do you need the offensive guy or do you need someone who's got more experience? Um, and it could also be that he is the right guy. He just needs maybe a different set of, of assistant coaches, or it could be, as you said, this is the absolute right staff. Polls hit this out of the park. We just don't really fully see it yet because of the roster and because of the things that have gone against them this year. So I've, I've liked what I've seen from Eberflus. I think the players like him a lot. You've seen the way they buy into um, a lot of his philosophies. Um, the question to me, for me is, you know, like it's going to be really, really difficult for them to make a huge jump next year for all the reasons we've outlined. Now, Fields takes another massive step that all everything at the window that doesn't matter who's around him. Like he could just lift, you know, you know, you know, rising tide lifts all boats situation. Um, but let's say this thing is really going to take until 2024, right? You know, is that you get to that point? Is that, and then you see the rosters there. Is he the right coach of the roster? I don't know. He might be. Yeah. And, and to kind of answer your question, the question of the question, I, I would sit there and say that I really think, Kind of based on everything we've seen, you know, I don't think you can do a influence we trust in polls we trust with just, you know, blind optimism that they're going to get this done. We've seen, I think, so, certain ways both of them handled things where there were issues. But at the on the flip side, both of them have done some some excellent things that, as well in the first year. So I think it's fair to just kind of say that the, uh, you know, it's, we're, it's still kind of out there and whether these guys will be the guys moving forward, especially at, at the head coaching spot. And, and you kind of sit there and say, I think next year, you know, can, can they jump to, you know, 10 and seven, 11 and six? I know Bears fans are going to want to hope that with, with a really high draft pick and, and all the money they have to spend. But I think at that point with more talent infused on the roster and, and everything, and can he guide them to that, that next level, that next step. I, I think that's really, you know, will you have your answer a hundred percent in 2023? Probably not still, but you know, unless they go two and 15, then you're going to sit there and know you don't have the right guy. 
But at, at that point, I think you can have a better assessment of, of he's the guy. Cause you know, I I've taken more of a wait and see approach with, with both these guys, because, you know, I was, I'll be honest. I was fully in on Matt Nagy. I, I thought it was a great hire. I was fully on board and, and it took me a little bit longer to come around to everyone else when to realize that this wasn't quite the, the right fit because of how positive I was with that hire originally. And of course, 2018, and you think, oh, absolutely, this, this was it. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you never know what you have in a head coach until you kind of see it play out a little. And I think 2023 is a really important year for Matt Eagle. Yeah, and and forgive me for being also. I mean, you, you're you're you you followed this team for your whole life, so you you know, it, it's uh, when I've covered this team for ten years, it's hard for me to be like, they got it, that's it, he's the guy. Whether it's the GM, the head coach, the quarterback, the defense tackle, the court safety, it's just it's like you know, it, it's one of the. I've seen some things, Bill. I have seen <laughs> some things in that building, and it's 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 it can be a little hard to. You know, and that's why I totally like I would never going back to the fields conversation. I would never want to tell somebody they cannot be excited about Justin Fields. Like, let your mind wander, dream big, you know, totally for it. Like, I, I'm I'm not going to get there myself. That's not, you know, what I, I wouldn't do that for anybody necessarily. But it's just like you sit here and you think about all the things I've, you know, the, the players and the coaches and the GMs. Like, this is my 10th year on the beat, Bill. This is already my fourth head coach, third, third GM. Wow. So, you know, and it's only it's 10 seasons, right? So it, it's, it's hard to like, you know, and, and that shouldn't be reason to assume X, Y, and Z won't work, but there's also certain people in place that have been the constants in those full 10 years that make really important decisions about the team. So, you know, it's uh, like, I, I think that, as you kind of said, I think you look at the way they played against the Eagles and in the first half against the Bills, and you say, hey, this coach got these guys ready to go. And you look at so the way some of the young players have looked in the secondary. Um, you look at Braxton Jones. Um, you can say, hey, this GM, he's got something here. Like, the, you can see the way this is going to potentially build. You, know, you go back to some of your favorite offensive games, you can say stuff, nice stuff about Luke Getze. So there's, there's little things there. There's little reasons to, to have the hope. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if, if like, if this team is just, you know, building to – because the Dolphins are kind of on a similar plane if you look at Tua's career. Um, and, and you can say the Eagles, too, with Jalen Hurts and the way that they built around him. Um, but the problem is, like, those teams took off in year three for their quarterbacks. I don't I, – it's hard for me to be ready for the Bears to do that with Justin Fields next year, because it's just, they're just not going to be able to match the type of talent those teams put around their quarterbacks. Um, There's just not enough guys available. Um, so that's where you are going to rely on Matt Eberflus and his philosophies and his coaching staff to kind of help do, frankly, what the Giants have done. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Dave Wands, that was the best hire slam dunk coming off those Cowboys teams. It, he was going to be the guy for the Bears for the next decade. So it never quite works out as you hope when you're a Bears fan. But uh, Kevin, thanks for so much time again. He's at K Fishbane on Twitter. I'm sure you follow him already, but if you don't give him a follow, great content all the time on Twitter and obviously on his articles on The Athletic. Kevin, thanks for so much time. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Bill.
All right, there he is, Kevin Fishbane, everybody. Take a quick break, and we'll wrap this puppy up on the other side. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back into the podcast. A few final thoughts there. Great conversation with Kevin. I'm sure you guys follow Kevin already, but if you don't, make sure you give him a follow on Twitter because his content's great on The Athletic, but he he is one of these guys. I don't think there's a lot in the Bears beat that provide great Twitter content. You know, they'll link to their articles for the most part, but they don't provide great Twitter content. Kevin provides great Twitter content, stats, analysis, snap counts. He's a great follow on Twitter. So he's he's not just, you know, read his stuff in The Athletic. His Twitter account is really informative for Bears fans. So make sure you check him out. And look, I think, I think Kevin was really fair with his roster analysis. He looked at this roster and goes, it stinks. There are not a lot of building blocks on here, but the ones they have, you got to cling to. And even, you know, talked about that Ryan Poles, as bad as this offensive line has got lucky. You know, you can talk about, well, great job assessing Braxton Jones. No one knew Braxton Jones could start 17 games coming out of Southern Utah's fifth-round pick. Tevin Jenkins, they didn't even think he was going to be on this roster in early August because of the situation he had with this team. I mean, and the fact that Jenkins has become one of the best interior run blockers in the league and Jones has held his own out there and may be a building block at left tackle. We're kind of in that Charles Leno mode right now where Leno as a seventh round pick was decent, you know, but you know, he moved him over to the left side from the right side. That helped him a lot. So, you know, the 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 book is still out on Jones, but it's trending pretty well that he could be a probably a pretty solid starter in the league, but he still has more to work on. We are not there yet. But I, I, I think he was really fair in the, with his, you know, they got no wide receivers right now. You know, the, the defense has a few building blocks, but tons of holes. And, and Justin Fields. You do need to see improvement from Justin Fields. But again, how much improvement for Justin Fields is getting more talent around him? Because, you know, and look, I have not watched the All-22 that much the last few weeks because, as I've talked about, my life's been a little upside down. So, you know, truth be told, didn't even wasn't even able to watch the Eagles game live. So, you know, there, there, there's been, been some issues, so I haven't been able to follow these games quite as closely as I would like. But at the same time, when you do get a chance and you do watch the All-22 and you look at this, you know, you look at the play calls and you look at the passing plays, a lot of times, you know, guys aren't open. And Fields is making the right reads and trying to get it to the right guys but they are just not getting the separation. Or if they do, they're not holding on to the football. I mean, does Justin Fields need to improve? Yes, Justin, needs, Justin Fields needs to improve. But how much does this roster need to improve as well? I mean, look, you know, no knock on Brock Purdy. He's done a hell of a job filling in for Jimmy G in San Francisco. As I mean, Mr. Irrelevant, no one expected him to play this well. But when you have Ayuk and you have Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and a good offensive line and Kyle Shanahan and a really good defense that's giving you good field position, when you have all these pieces and you are just asked to manage the game, 
you can have success. Now, Justin Fields is not asked to manage the game. Justin Fields is asked to win the game and carry the offense. And the fact that he was able to put up points is in bunches for a while when he had a few more weapons and talent out there and just hasn't been able to put it together as much. Fishbane talked about kind of the adjustments that some of the teams has made. And the fact of the matter is, there's just no one out there that he can rely on. He just doesn't have it. So until we see Fields with, it doesn't need to be elite talent. We don't need to grade him because he needs to have a top five offense around him. That's not going to happen in one off season. But a serviceable offense, an average to below average offense in terms of their top to bottom, the other 10 guys out there with him. When he has that, and there's no reason that Ryan Poles can't put that together for next year if he does his job right. When Fields has that, then we can really fully assess him in terms of the passing game and some of the things that, you know, some of the Bears beat and some of the fans want to continually harp on and not really put the full situation in perspective. So, you know, again, we can't sit here and keep harping on the same point over and over and over again. The beat's going to sit there and report on what they see in front of them. But again, at the same time, if you're not going to talk about great throws that were dropped and good reads that, that, that still resulted in negative plays or a tipped ball by the offensive player that gets intercepted or whatever it might be, you really have to assess the full picture with fields. And that's why a lot of these advanced stats, not just PFF grades, but, but a lot of the advanced stats are trending really well for Justin right now because they can look at a smaller sample size and extrapolate more than some of the traditional stats like pa total passing yards and passer rating and, and things like that can. So you know, I think we have saw what we need to see from fields this year. We know he's at least earned the job for the next couple of years, assuming things don't you know, derail completely next year. And I don't see any reason why they would. So let's see what polls can do in this offseason, build up an offense around Justin Fields, and truly, we, you know, this, this 2023 year is going to be a big assessment on everyone. It's going to be an assessment on Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, and Justin Fields. And because at this point, there's going to be a legitimate roster that Eberflus can, can do something with, that Ryan Poles, in theory, has put together, and that Justin Fields can play with. So, you know, this upcoming year, this offseason, is a fascinating one and an interesting one. You know, like Kevin said, not the best free agent market, but there's plenty of good players to be had. Plenty of good players to be had. And when you have as many holes as the Bears have, I mean, and let's go through it. You need another outside corner. You can have Kyler inside with Jalen on one outside and the two safeties with Jackson and Brisker. You still need another outside corner. You're going to rely on Jack Sanborn. You still need two linebackers. If you want to keep Sanborn at the mic and go cheap at Sam, you need a really good will. So you need a good outside corner and you need a really good will. That's at the minimum right now before you get to the front four where genuinely they really need an entire new front four. Now, they're not going to be able to get an entire front four, but they got to go out and find an edge who can put pressure on the quarterback. They need a disruptive three-tech. That's where someone like Jalen Carter could come in or Will Anderson for that matter. Both those guys would help significantly there. And you need a better nose. Uh, Jalen, you know, Jalen, uh, Jalen Jones, uh, Justin Jones, you know, at this point, 
I would rather see him as a rotational defensive tackle. I'd rather see something like Jalen Carter and Deron Payne up front with Jones subbing behind them and going out and getting an edge. Like you, you need to infuse probably three defensive players there. So at a minimum, you need to spend on, you know, and when I say spend, I include day one and day two draft picks. Day three draft picks, you're not spending. You're hoping for the future. I know you can get four fifth round picks, sometimes even a sixth round pick that can, you know, give you something in year one, but usually not. So when I say spend, I'm talking about round one, round two, round three, and, and what you can get in free agency. So they need another corner, they need a will, and they need three guys up front. So they need five new defensive players. That's at a minimum. That's not enough. That's at a minimum. Uh, now you go on the offensive side of the ball. I'm right there with Kevin. You need at least three offensive linemen. That's eight new people you need right there. You need one more wide receiver, minimum. That's nine. And I see they need a much better backup tight end. And, and you could use a little, a little bit more elsewhere. So you're, you're talking about 10, minimum, 10 new guys they need on offense, minimum. Again, this isn't saying they get these 10 guys and they're a Super Bowl contender. No, they get 10 guys to become competitive and relevant and have a, a, a decent NFL roster. So you're talking about having to go three for three in the draft. Now, maybe they trade down and get an additional picks, but you've got to hit your first, second, and third rounder and still go out there and sign seven guys, seven guys to fill out this roster just to make it competitive. That's insane how much they need to do. And again, that's not going to fill out every hole that's just going to make it so they can be competitive. You sign seven guys, you still got like Travis Gibson or Dominique Robinson starting at an edge. Like, or, you know, you still have that kind of situation. Braxton Jones, you know, at that point, you're still relying on as your left tackle. And I'm not saying those are necessarily bad things, but those are saying you're not, you don't have a slam dunk at those positions. So they have a lot of work to do. And at that point, you're going to be able to assess Ryan Poles and see what he was able to do in an offseason where he had a ton of money and very high draft picks. You're going to be able to assess Matt Eberflus because he's going to have a lot more talent. And you're going to be able to hopefully assess Justin Fields because he's going to get more protection and better weapons to throw to. But we still got two games to go in this season. If you want a prediction about this Detroit Lions game, I'll give you one. The Lions are going to win. The Bears have nothing on the roster. Justin Fields cannot carry this team alone. The Detroit Lions will win probably pretty comfortably, something like 33 to 20. And we'll have another podcast next week as we wind down this 2022 Chicago Bears season. That's going to do it for Bears Banter. We'll talk to you later. Bear down, everybody. Adios. Adios.